Hello, 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 everyone. This is Thinking to Think, the critical thinking podcast where we analyze topics such as civics, history, culture, philosophy, politics, and current events through a critical thinker's lens. I am your host, the social studies educator, Michael Antonio Aponte, also known as Mr. A. Every Sunday, we will have a new episode within these topics, as well as occasional special guests and recorded lectures with my students. So please subscribe, share, listen, and let's build a critical thinking society together. Before I begin this lecture, I want to just stop and thank you so much for listening. Um, This is episode 10, and I do have plans to uh, have some interviews and, you know, change this up a bit uh, instead of me just giving you lectures. But I just want to just take this moment and say thank you so much. Uh, Please do not forget to share. Um, Today's going to be a very interesting episode because it's a bit of a problem that I'm seeing uh, regarding uh, freedom of speech and different ways of expressing that speech. Um, We are in a crazy time uh, during this election and in the United States, and what makes things a bit more uncertain is the path that the United States is taking when you have elected officials working on creating a database of their political rivals' supporters. And what is worse, these are the same people that keep certain groups unchecked while they act in mobs of violence. Now, let me stress this, that this is not a conspiracy. This is not something um, this they said this publicly in interviews on C-SPAN, on social media. So they're not hiding this. And this is no different than those that participated in the French, Soviet and Chinese revolutions. But I want to save these details and on a future episode, I think it's very fascinating how these revolutions uh, started and what was the end results and focus more on the essence of what is going on for this episode, which is, in my opinion, the death of the freedom of speech in the United States. One of the most cherishable Bill of Rights amendments is the First Amendment. In this amendment, it states the following. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for the rhetoric of grievance. Many countries have similar rights, but there is no country more aggressive towards defending those rights than in the United States until the 21st century. Unlike the United States, many countries have free speech laws, have passed legislation to some degree restricting freedom of speech when it comes to hate speech, though. Ironically, despite this, many large private companies have begun inputting policies on hate speech and terminating jobs or removing individuals from platforms from individuals that are found guilty of hate speech. This form of judgment is called canceled. Americans became so afraid of speaking their mind and being 
quote, canceled, that a poll by Cato Institute in July 2020 suggests that 62% of the population in America cannot share their political views. In turn, this pressure for many created a dark web of critical thinkers, social political activists, religious groups, even racist organizations are turning to the dark web to continue their debates, discussions, and possible organization strategies. Meanwhile, the United States has made no legal amendments on freedom of speech, and yet many congressional leaders made this major talking point for private entities to take control of the end result. This unprecedented turn of political strategy has created a power vacuum of who can control legislation without passing a single law. But what exactly is hate speech? How does cancel culture actually work? And how can the intellectual dark web become a place of refuge or spark rebellion? Hate speech has different meanings to different people or in groups. Depending on who you ask, it may be a as simple as a form of speech that expresses hate or encourages violence towards a selected person or group based on an identity. And we have laws that protect those against inciting to violence. But what is more complex and currently the most discussed is a form of communication of disparagement or animosity of a specific group or selected groups such as race, color, sexual orientation, gender, disability, or nationality. In other words, if you say something negative or appears negative to the selected group, it is considered hate speech. Under these conditions, it would be easy for a debate on moral values, race, politics, and culture to turn very quickly into a hate speech accusation, which would automatically cease the debate and turn to chaos. Many young people are taught to not give the opposing argument the opportunity to speak because it spreads hate speech. This is taught in our education system as part of critical theory studies. And like most ideas, Studies and theories begin at the university level before it reaches primary schools and the outside world. The first of many college campuses that experience this form of uh, cancel culture and violence uh, would be Evergreen University in its riots in 2017. Now, many universities have been very progressive for years prior to the riots of Evergreen University. But here are the specifics. On October 28th, 2015, a call to action forum on anti-racism began. After professors attended an anti-racism summit, the faculty members began to announce a list of actions that must be taken. The information spread to students, and on November 16, 2016, in the what was called the Canoe Meeting, the council created a plan to fight racism and equity issues. Unfortunately, 
They did not cite one reference of the issues, yet declared they had a problem. This is similar to a doctor telling a patient they are sick without even meeting the patient. Now, according to a professor, a former professor, I should say, Dr. Brett Weinstein, he recognized the problem within these meetings and expressed them profusely. Students and faculty began to protest against racism and white supremacy. Later, during a faculty meeting, he was accused of racism, and while defending himself, he was informed he couldn't, and that would be racist to do so. Students began to take control of the university and were praised for actions every time they interrupted a faculty or presentation. This encouragement would eventually lead to the riot in 2017. The students and faculty were encouraged to have a day of absence to acknowledge the power of race. On day of absence, people based on race would be absent for the day. In this particular year, it was Caucasian's turn to be absent that day. Weinstein refused in sign of protest because it was a public college and therefore he had the right to be there. This led to major protests asking for his resignation. When the campus police came to protect uh, Dr. Weinstein, they accused police of racism for protecting him. Afterward, the leaders of the protesters had a meeting with the head administrators. Protesters further argued that Dr. Weinstein teaches science and STEM and in itself is racist. The cafeteria meeting that happened later that year was a pivot point on those protests. Chairs in the front and food were provided for people of color only, and any person of color that defended Dr. Weinstein was called anti-black. Because students didn't receive Dr. Weinstein's resignation, the following day, they began to barricade the library that was also the administration building with the administrators inside. In other words, they imprisoned the faculty members. <laughs> While imprisoned, faculty members began to join their captors to avoid further scrutiny. Students began to take control over the roads around the campus while the president of the, of the university ordered police to stand down. Groups began to hunt down Dr. Weinstein. Eventually, Dr. Weinstein was forced to resign and became one of the pioneers of the intellectual dark web. This resonates with me, what just happened in 2020, because we can change the name of the titles of some of these protesters and those that ended up participating with protesters, such as instead of the president of the university, we can easily say mayor or governor. The rioters did claim victory. And with this, the administration siding with the very people that imprisoned them, just like prisoners that sided with Stalin while they were locked up in the Gulag Archipelago, is an anarchist strategy. And later it showed up in 2020's riots while a Aggression towards hate speech spread throughout the country. 
And, and again, I must stress this. Hate speech differs depending on who you ask. And although this is a radical example, many young adults who went through the universities began careers in places within uh, local government, uh, law, and technology. Most tech companies recruit right out of college with no real world experience and therefore stay within the collective group that they were already in during their academics. So do you see this chain of events that's occurring? And it's no surprise that within the, this time frame that cancel culture began. This term was coined the very same year of the Evergreen Riots in which it removes bad actors from their jobs, social media accounts, and or means of earning income due to offensive language or action. This form of moral policing is effective in the view of the accuser and to combat any wrongdoing to others and hold them accountable. In order to avoid being canceled, one must conform to the same moral values and ideas as the accusers who feel oppressed. Moreover, the people that define the terms are in a position of power within consulting companies that specialize in critical theory, social media outlets, or programming companies that create artificial intelligence algorithms that automatically define the terms of hate speech. Many people, including Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, were canceled in different forms, claiming either hate speech or for violating terms of agreement without specifications of which terms. Congress has called on CEOs of major tech companies on different occasions with very little to no results. As of this recording, cancel culture is still alive and well, and this leads to the intellectual dark web. Now, before I go into the intellectual dark web, it was just announced, and I'm not going to mention the names or the, or the film due to copyrights and lawsuits and everything, but a particular A-list actor was just forced to resign a major film franchise because of cancel culture. This is ongoing. This is happening. If they can do it to powerful celebrities and political leaders, they can do it to you. No one will bat an eye. And many people participate in the intellectual dark web. Individuals and organizations have begun to create their own forms of communication and social media platforms. This term was originally coined by actually Dr. Eric Weinstein, the brother of Brett Weinstein. Now, not to be confused with Brett, I'm going to refer to them in the first name um, moving forward, only because to avoid confusion, not out of disrespect. Eric, uh, compared metaphorically to the opposition of mainstream media, which at the time promoted different forms of cancel culture. So celebrities who are considered conservatives and classical liberals joined together to continue discussions regarding identity politics, political correctness, partisan politics, education, and, of course, cancel culture. Ironically, conversations within these topics can lead to, be, to being canceled. If an opposition argument is allowed to speak on their behalf, um, it can be considered hate speech. 
as this form of underground communication evolved, it became more difficult to define the nature of the intellectual dark web. And many use its term to describe online conversations on unpopular or less moderated platforms to debate on the ideas of postmodernism, Marxism, tribalism, and free speech. Further irony and evidence from history suggests those that actually perform the classical hate speech and are forced into hiding unifies others who were in some way disenfranchised by different circumstances in society. Now, I'm going to give you two of my most relevant and radical examples. And the two of, the, of those examples, and that's well-documented. They're well-documented groups that were pushed into darkness yet eventually rise to power was the Nazi party and the Bolsheviks. Both groups were unpopular and pushed underground by their country's government. Moreover, many leaders of these groups, including Adolf Hitler and Vladimir Lenin, were arrested and treated as martyrs for their causes. When their respective governments pushed them underground, it became alarmingly difficult to not only identify who was spreading the message, but also identify who supported the messages. Notwithstanding, their underground tactics worked, and the Nazi party and their silent majority took control of the German government, while the Bolsheviks, silent majority, rebelled and overthrew the government becoming the Communist Party and Russia manifesting into the Soviet Union. And regardless of their political differences, those that oppose the ideology of the revolutionary parties receive similar penalties from loss of business, work, homes, and or debts. Does that sound familiar? In the United States, the Democratic Party in the southern states performed similar tactics to Republicans and blacks during the Reconstruction period. This is right after the Civil War. These early forms of cancel culture would eventually evolve in the 21st century with more sophistication, as I discussed earlier. It is Difficult for a young American to understand how valuable the First Amendment truly is. It is up to debate on whether or not it is due to not being well informed or a lack of experience in other countries. When I teach history or civics to students, I am not surprised at how ill-informed they are. And their reactions are normally in amazement thanks to historical examples of speech suppression and what resulted in those examples. Many organizations support this form of suppression because either they are part of the political party or they simply do not want to be the next target of accusations. This was a normal strategy in history, the same as it is today. And major, many major companies that have been around supported the Nazi party that are very popular today. Many people have become more tribal due to the strategies that are used today. 
the only difference between history and what's going on now that I can find is that social media has expedited information substantially. What would have taken weeks or months with the internet involved now takes minutes or days. This acceleration of information was a direct result from Evergreen University in 2017 and eventually using the same tactics and spread of ideology throughout 2020. Moreover, if the suppression of expression, freedom, and proper debate continues, eventually those that are canceled would find a way to unite and the clash of ideologies may happen like it always has throughout human civilized societies, but at an accelerated rate, which can and usually in history ends in bloodshed. So I leave with this. It is imperative to understand your individual rights as well as its limitation of those rights. It is wrong to say hateful things just for the sake of being hateful. But should a government or corporation intervene in a form of moral policing? And let's not forget what is the right thing to say or do today may not be the same tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Thinking to Think with Mr. A. If you like our show and want to know more, check out my website in the description or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, whichever platform you heard this episode. Please do not forget to share and spread the word. Join us next week where we will continue the fight to build a critical thinking society. Thank you and have a beautiful week. Thank <laughs> you.